know, God wants to uh, draw our hearts to himself. I'm going to skip through some of the things I was going to share today because, uh, you know, how many know we need to make room for the Spirit of God to manifest himself? How many believe that? And, uh, you know, I've got, I've got enough notes in my repertoire, whatever you want to call it, to preach two weeks into the millennial reign of Jesus. I mean, I, you know, I mean, seriously, I got so much stuff. And so I just have to say, Lord, which direction we go today? But, you know... Uh, I think, I think where I want to go real briefly here, and there's one other person I need to pray for, but I'll talk about it in a minute. Um, how many know the word is like a seed in your life? So Lord, take the word of God today and make it like a seed to a minister. How many know there's a lot of potential in a seed? I looked this up a, a few years ago, really, and it's in the notes. My notes are on victorychurchraleigh.com. You scroll down about halfway, you'll see some of this. I think it's point six. You know, I just have to let the Lord do what he's going to do. I do series, but when God does what he did today, I just go, here we go. So um, the word is just like a seed planted in your life. And, and I, I appreciate the fact that God called the word a seed because, you know, if you know anything about a seed, it's powerful. For instance, a guy did a study on wheat seeds. And here's what he found out. You got one stalk of wheat it produces an average of 50 to 60 kernels. And I think they did the study, an average of 55 kernels per stalk. Now watch this. One seed planted in fertile soil in four years' time uh, produces 9 million kernels of wheat, uh, which translates into a little over 600 pounds of wheat. That's amazing. One, one seed... So God calls his word a seed. And y'all, if you let that word get in you and germinate, it will change who you are. Did you hear me? If you do nothing with it, it will do nothing for you. So we'll see how far. If I don't finish this today, we'll come back next time. Is that okay? Uh, but the power parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4 gives us some really rich insight into what seed can do in the lives of believers and what the word can do in your life and any life, regardless of your past. That's the cool thing. Regardless of where you've been, what you've done, what you're weighed down with, I don't care how beleaguered you feel, how awful your life may be, if you get the right kind of seed planted in your heart, something's going to happen to you that's amazing. You know, back in the 1960s when I was a little boy, um, uh, Oral Roberts came on TV and said, something good's going to happen to you. And that's still true. That seed is a powerful thing. Let me say this. Uh, what the word of God does in each one of us is determined by what we allow the seed to do. And it's really determined by the soil that it's planted in. How many hear me? So here it is, Mark 4, 14. The farmer plants, this is New Living Translation. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. That's really practical, isn't it? The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed, verse 18, that fell among thorns represents others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire of other things, so no fruit is produced and the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word produce a harvest uh, 
uh, of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. So out loud, I want you to say footpath, rocky soil, uh, thorny soil, good soil. Hmm, four kinds. Which one are you? So I'm going to go through this fairly, hopefully, quickly. In Jesus' name, we'll get through this. Uh, Four kinds of soil. So what kind of soil does your heart contain? What are you allowing God to do in you through his word? Maybe the bigger question is, are you even taking time to plant the seed in the soil? Without it being planted, it's not going to work. And, you know, let me just say my personal testimony is that I was a mess at age 18 having went the way of drugs and smoking pot and all that went along with that with my church friends. Yeah, yeah. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're going to heaven. And, you know, you think everybody in church is living right. Well, I could tell you different because my church friends are the one that lead me there. In fact, the, the, the head deacon's son is the one that gave me my first reefer. Some of you know what that is. If you don't, you're better off. I'll just tell you that. That's truth. So not everybody in church is a good person. And you know what? This is a hospital for sinners. Is that true? If you need help, the place to be. So anyway, four kinds of soil, four kinds of people. But I'm telling you, when Jesus changed my heart, how many know Jesus? Can you say, well, I'm an old ratty person. I'm an old hard person. Well, welcome to, welcome to the human race. A lot of us get hardened in life. But I'm telling you, God can take your hard heart and soften it. He did with mine. If he did it with mine, I'm sure he can do it with yours as well. Footpath is that foot first kind of soil. King James Version of the Bible says wayside hearers. This is footpath here. Four kinds of hearers Jesus talked about. This footpath person is a person that hears, but the word doesn't produce any fruit. It's just on the surface. And so again, verse 15, Mark 4 The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and and take it away. And I think I mentioned this Wednesday night, uh, but let me, it bears repeating. We had uh, some land that farmers owned where I lived as a young boy and my entire childhood was spent there. And in fact, when I married Susan, I moved from that location, that house into an apartment in in, uh, our downtown area. But prior to that, I lived here, and we had fields all around my house. Some of them, uh, the government had paid the farmers to put the field in a land bank, they call it, just to let the field rest because they only want so many, you know, so many, um, so much so much corn, so much soybeans, so much cotton, yada, yada. And so they'd say, farmer, don't plant the, the field here. We'll give you the money you would have gotten, you know, if you had to raise the crops. So the farmer said, hmm, that's fine with me. So anyway, I'd go to those fields and they and some of them lasted years and years in the land bank, so to speak. And as a kid, I'm always outside doing something. I love the outdoors and still do. And um, but I would I still remember getting on my knees, getting on my hands and knees, and right after like a, a spring rain, you know, and you can see you know how that air smells after a spring rain. It smells so fresh. I'd walk outside, walk across the road into the field, and we had loamy sand. And it was white and dark. It was, some of it was white. Some of it was kind of uh, light gray in appearance. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, so anyway, but it would lay there in the land bank and it was not furrowed. It was not tilled. And the uh, top part of it became very crusty. And, um, and, and then I went after the storm 
and, and looked at the ground. And, and honestly, I can still remember what it looked like. The water literally beaded up on top of the ground and wouldn't go in, wouldn't, wouldn't soak in. And I thought it was just amazing as a kid. And, and I can't remember how many, tell you how many times after a storm I go look and I say, that's just incredible that the, that the tension of the surface of the, of the ground is not allowing the water in. It, may, it amazed me. I didn't know what to think about it. Literal beads of water. And I, when I came to Jesus and started reading this parable, I thought, well, man, that's, a, that's, that's the kind of soil he's talking about in a person's heart. And then Hosea mentions this in Hosea 10, 12. So for yourselves, righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. New, tra- uh, New Living Translation says, Plow up the hard ground of your hearts for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness on you. Fallow ground, unproductive soil, hard, uh, the hardness of the heart is what, he's, is what he's talking about here. What produces hardness of heart? Sin in all of its forms. Hidden sin, sin that we think is okay. We think it's innocuous. We think we can, you know, do this or that and it's okay. Any sin hardens me. That went over big. Any, any sin hardens me. I, I, I've got to know that. Hebrews 3.13, you must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be, be, will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Now, you know, I've thought about that often. All the people that I've talked to have been in ministry since 1981. And I've had people sit in front of me and they talk about this or that that they're doing. And they talk about it innocuously as though it's not a real big deal. And when they talk about it, I can tell, and they don't realize how hard their heart, how hard their hearts have become. Their hearts are sin hardens the heart. It's usually a little bit at a time. That's the reason, you know, sin for me as a believer is contraband goods. It's something that I simply can't allow in my life. And I don't know about you, but all throughout the day, I make sure if I say something I shouldn't have said right then, I, I don't wait till I get home somewhere. Don't wait till I, I don't say my prayers at night. I pray right now. If I mess up, I fess up right now. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us. So I say, Lord, I shouldn't have said that that way. Or what if it's something I did, something I thought, or if it was a wrong motive? I say, Lord, I judge that. See, the Bible teaches self-judgment, right? 1 Corinthians uh, chapter, I think, 11. Uh, If we judge ourselves, we'll not be judged. So confessing sin is a form of self-judgment. A self-examined life, even the philosopher said, is not worth living. So I examine, let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, about the communion table, examine yourself. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourself and see whether you be in the faith, the apostle Paul said. So there is a place for examining your life. Some people preach and teach as though you never need to think about your life because all of your life is in Jesus and you never need to confess sin after you've known the Lord. Now this, a dozen dozen years ago, there there came in vogue in some parts of the body of Christ a teaching that because we're in Christ, we no longer have to confess our sins. Nothing could be further from the truth. Why did he give us these admonitions to check up on ourselves and see whether we are in the faith or not? Why did he say that? Why did he say if we confess our sins? Why did he say in 1 John 2, 1, these things I write to you that you don't sin. If anyone does sin, we have a lawyer, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Why did he say that if we didn't need to deal with sin, right? 
And then beyond that, what about Revelation chapters 2 and 3 where Jesus talked to the seven churches in Laodicea, or not in Laodicea, but in Asia Minor. And, um, and, and, and he, had, he said, I have somewhat against you, this, 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 and this, and the various churches. If sin wasn't a problem, why did Jesus say that to the churches? You ever thought about it? So do I need to deal with sin in my life? Yes, well, what if I don't? You become hard. Oh, this is 15 years ago. I had a person sit in my office, and I'm sitting here. They're sitting on a chair adjacent from me. And this person went on to tell me that uh, they got them a mistress. This person had five children. And he said, I got me a, he got a mistress. See, he's committing adultery with another woman. And he, he said he thought that was all right. I said, you think that's all right? He said, yeah. You know, you know, obviously we had quite a colorful conversation right after that. But you know he walked away from God. He lost his family. The sad thing. Now, how could a person who, and he was in our church for a long time. How can a person do that? See, that, my friends, is the deceitfulness of sin. And now pastors and churches a lot are not saying hardly anything about wrong and sin. We want to give you a good message. Well, sometimes the best thing my daddy ever did for me was take me out behind the house and give me a good whooping. It's not child abuse. It's the rod of correction on the seat of learning. I think we need a little more of that today, don't you? If we did, we wouldn't have the problems we're having with our younger culture. Yes or not? Yes or no? You know, there, there's something to be said about it. Nonetheless, hardness of heart calls you to do things you never thought you'd do, and then you don't even think it's wrong. A self-deceived person is dangerous. Proverbs says a person that is a conscienceless person is like a person uh, is like a city without walls. And in Bible times, if you had a wall around your city, you were defended against uh, animals. You were uh, defended against the enemy that would come and try to harm the residents and inhabitants. And then if you had a tall wall with sentries on top, you pretty much got it made. Nobody's gonna mess with you because they know you're ready to defend yourself. But if you don't have a conscience, who doesn't have a conscience? That's a person who constantly violates it. Think about it. Now think about American culture right now, what you're exposed to potentially every day. You gotta, if you're not turning your head a lot, then you probably have a hard heart. Yes or no? If you're not, I don't hardly watch TV, but if you watch TV, if you're not turning the channel a lot, you probably have a hard heart. Right? It's fallow ground. Symptoms of a hard heart. Y'all ready for this? I'm not trying to go fast. Y'all okay? We got next Sunday, y'all. That's how I'm gonna feel about it. Symptoms of a hard heart. Well, here's one. Ministers are crooked. Churches are crooked. And people, all they want is money. You ever heard that? You know where that comes from? A hard heart. Now, you know what? Some ministers probably are crooked. In fact, you know what? The first church I attended after I came to Jesus. 
13 years later, I'd already left the church. Susan and I went to another uh, Bible school. There was actually a Bible school in the church. The pastor was in sin and nobody knew it. The Lord showed it to me in prayer. I went to tell him. He chewed me out. And I said, God, in my little youthfulness and my spiritual infancy, I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't realize the man had a hard heart. The pastor had a hard heart. That's tough when your pastor's got a hard heart. He said, well, pastor, do you have a hard heart? Well, I hope I don't. You check up on me and see. You can feel it if I do. Huh? I just knew something, something wasn't right. So some people think, well, at, at church, that pastor failed. You know, uh, every week now I hear of ministers that have failed. They've fallen into sin, fallen into adultery. Fall, some of them fall into all kinds of stuff, alcoholism, drug addiction. You know, it's not easy to be a pastor because uh, you're dealing with not only yourself but everybody else. And then there's a lot of pressure, just like any other job you have. There's lots of pressure. And uh, so, are some ministers crooked? Sure they are. But you know what? If you allow that person to keep you away from God, they're between you and God. And that is a symptom of a hard heart. If, you're, if I'm blaming somebody else because of what I'm not doing, I probably have a hard heart. Yes or no? And then right in line with that, church people are just, all them Christians are hypocrites. You know how many people I've talked to. I don't go to church and people are just hypocrites. They do the same thing you do. They're just hypocrites. Well, you know, I'm, they probably are hypocrites in church. They might be some in here today. I, I think all of you have angel wings and halos, but, you know, there might be one or two. I, I, I hope not, right? But if you think them church people just bad people, well, they're standing between you and the Lord. You got to let them go. That's a symptom of a hard heart, yes or no? I've heard this one a lot. Well, I know that works for other people. That just don't work for me. That Bible stuff, it just don't work for me. I've tried that. It don't work. You know, God doesn't love me. Things just don't work out right for me. You know, I got two left hands. I mean, you know, it just everything. I just fumble over everything that happens in my life. It's just nothing's right. Nothing's good. Now, there's a person with a hard heart. At some point, you have to accept responsibility. In fact, the, 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 the truth is God is the same to everybody. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, forever. Romans 2, 11, there is no partiality with God. King James Version said no respect of persons. God loves everybody equally. Red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight, we sang when I was a little boy. How many think it's still true? God doesn't favor one person over another. He loves us all the same. James 1.17, there's not a shadow of turning. God doesn't change like the seasons of the year. He's always the same, right? And then Isaiah 55.11, so will my word be. God said that goes forth from my mouth. It won't return void or useless or empty, but will accomplish while I please him prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. You know what that's saying? You know what God said about his own word? My word produces like a seed produces. My word always produces results where it's believed and acted upon. That's the reason James 1 said, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. If you do the word but don't practice it, you're like a person that sees himself in the mirror and then forgets what he looked like, Right? But if you do the word, you'll be blessed. That's what he's saying. See, the word just doesn't work for me. Well, if the word's not working for me, it's probably because my soul and my heart's not right. 
And it could be a hard heart that produces that. Yes or no? Hmm. And then a hard-hearted person, you ever heard a person say this? Well, that's just the way I am and that's the way it is. Now, if I talk that way, it's because I was raised in the country and I know country people really well. That's just the way I am and there's nothing gonna change that. If you don't like it, well, just kiss. You fill in the blanks, I won't. That's a person that's stubborn and just not willing to yield. You ever met a stubborn person? Don't look in the mirror. You got stubborn streaks in you? I've had stubborn stuff in me. Have you? Do you know stubbornness can produce a hard heart? Because God may deal with you, but you're not willing to yield. Yes or no? Hmm. Isaiah 53, 6, he's turned every man to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the Messiah, the iniquity of us all. Every man's turned to his own way. See, that's our bigger problem. We want things our way or we just give it the highway. We forget it, right? Hmm, I enjoy what, I've heard people say this. I, in fact, I had a dream about this uh, last Monday. I enjoy what I do, heaven or hell, good or bad. I like it that way. If that sends me to hell, then I'll go to hell. Did you know I've heard people say that? I had a dream last Monday night, and I, I don't know why I was doing what I was doing. I was talking to two guys. They were strangers to me. They were right here. I'm standing right here. And we just got into conversation, and I just talked to them and started talking to them. And in my dream, I was saying, well, you know, Jesus set me free, and, I, and I'm just a free person on the inside, and I'm really happy I'm going to heaven. And I'm so glad that God delivered me and I'm not going to hell. And they said right up, well, there is no hell. I don't believe there is a hell. I don't believe there is a heaven and none of that matters to me. Very, very point blank in my dream, very point blank. Did you know that's a lot of our culture in America today? Yeah, that's, now that is a hard heart. And so again, a person who's been disillusioned, been hurt by life, disillusioned, feels like they've been taken advantage of. Often that person will develop a hard disposition that seeks to keep others out and it also keeps God out. How many hear me? How many know it can do that? So you know I have to ask myself. I go along every once in a while and say, okay, let's check up on the soil of the heart. Is my heart hard? How can I tell if I have a hard heart? Well, you know, I gotta let go of my, if I have judgments against others, if I have an anger against God, a lot of people are angry at God because of what has happened in life. Yes or no? You know, I've often said it this way. You, you, can't, you can't stop some things from happening in life. You say, well, why did that occur in my childhood? Why did that accident occur? Why did my dad or mom die when I was young? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why, why did this person say that? Why was I treated that way? I don't know. You know, what I do know, John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life. People don't realize that we're in a war, we're in a battle. There is a thief loose on planet earth and he's seeking to rob, steal, and kill everywhere he gets a chance, right? And then sometimes just your family tree, your family line, your family tree might have lots of squirrels like mine in way back. And stuff is happening and it's a problem. You say, well, well, I didn't want, why did I have to be born in this family? Why did I have to be born into this situation? You got all kind of, do you ever have thoughts like that? Don't shake your head. You might have, it's okay. 
I've had those thoughts. Why did I have to have that mama? Why did I have to have that daddy? Why did I have to be here? Why did I have to be in that city? Well, that's just the way you were. I've been to Africa many times. We've got 12 churches in southern Ethiopia. And one of those places, you've heard me say it so many times, I mean, they really still dress in animal skins. They have no electricity, no running water. It's really hard. It's a tough trip. When I've gone, that's, you know, if, if you like to go out and you like to camp out, I did all my camping out right out there. I'd just soon have a nice hotel room. It was tough there. But that's the way they live. And I've often told, uh, talked to the guy I went there with another missionary friend. And we, we were sitting, the ambient temperature of the water I'm drinking is 110 degrees. Glory to God. Isn't God good? And then we'd look over at each other and we'd say, you know, I could have been born right here. And not no life outside of this village. And I'd have to go drink the orange water out of mud puddles like they do. And I'd have worms in a big belly like they do. Uh-huh. I'd be wearing animal skins like they do. But for some reason, I was born in a nice place in America. How many know you need to be thankful for who you are and what you got? Huh? You don't take much of that. You figure life out pretty quickly. So, you know, I've taken those situations. I don't know how many times I've been right there and thought that very thing. Thought I could have been that little boy running around naked. He, in fact, little boy, I mean, all the little kids, most of the little kids, they got little pants on and they're running around, but they don't, they're showing the butt cheeks. They don't, they don't have, I mean, they sat down so many times that they don't have another pair of pants. I thought that could be me as a kid. You can't change what happened to you in life. And sometimes you can't help what happens. But that's not as important as deciding you're going to deal with it the right way. Huh? How many know you can have a good attitude in a bad place? Or you can choose to have an aggravated attitude and make sure everybody else knows you're aggravated. And then you can aggravate everybody around you because you aggravated, because you want them to feel how you feel. You want them to feel your pain. Now, there's American culture right now, isn't it? Is that true? You mad, you want everybody else to be mad. Well, you know what? Uh-uh. No, that's a hard heart, y'all. So what's the antidote to that? Judge yourself. God, that's me. God, I'm wrong. God, I'm sorry. God, please help me. How many hear me? Sometimes you can't help who your parents are, what they did, how they acted. You don't know how many people since 1981 I have talked to have been abused. I could tell you stories you couldn't hardly believe. I do believe what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. People are mean, y'all. If you don't know Jesus, you mean. Sometimes if you do know Jesus and, you're, and, and the word's not working in you, you still mean. How many have met some mean believers? Huh? Mean believers are believers who might have came to Jesus, but their heart's still got a lot of hard places in it. It's crusty. So what's the antidote? Everybody okay? Well, the antidote is you gotta say, God, it's me. I'm wrong. Would you help me? Do you know some people have a hard time saying I'm wrong? And they'll skirt around the issue. They'll blame it on this, this, and this, and this. Well, if that was different, if that hadn't happened, if that hadn't done, if they hadn't said that, I wouldn't. No, just say it's me. I was wrong. I was that way as a young child in my teenage years. Something would happen. I'd blame it on everybody but me. And finally, when I, it was a big grow-up day when I came to Jesus. 
And God finally pointed his finger. It's not bony, it's a sweet finger. But he said, you know what, dude, you need to accept responsibility for your actions and choices and your words. That's you. That's not that person, that's you. Then I've had friends when I was young in the Lord say, Mitch, have you ever recognized that, you know, you have these same problems with all the people you're around and the, and the common denominator is you? You're in all these relationships you have problems with. Maybe it's not the others, maybe it's you. After I wanted to rearrange his face, I got the idea, you know, right? Uh, can I get real six years ago, I, I hired a, a John Maxwell person, you know, to come and redo our staff and me and how I did life. Now, that man had a bony finger. And he stuck it right in my face, said, dude, you need to change. You're wrong. And I didn't want to admit that I was wrong because I'm the pastor, I'm pastor here. And that was called pride. Right? So once I said, you know, you're right. And then he, he didn't have to say, he said, well, I know I'm right. I said, you rascal hush. <laughs> and then once I repented, life changed. And now our, our church team is there. It's just good now. I mean, you know, accepting responsibility is your part in overcoming your past. Did you hear me? Have you accepted your responsibility? Huh? You can't change mama. You can't change daddy. You can't change your ex-husband, ex-wife. You can't change your aunt, uncle, cousin, nephew. You can't change your former pastor, the deacon board, the boss, the teacher, but you can change you. Is that good? Footpath. You know, I don't want to have a heart that's a footpath heart, do you? And what does that mean? That means the, the seed stands, sits right there. You know, they'd throw some corn in the field beside that field when I was a little boy. And this is all I'm going to get through today. You'll have to come back next week for rocky soil. <clears throat> they'd throw corn or soybean and, uh, you know, have machinery, you know, behind the tractor that would do that. And then as a little boy, once they got done, I'm, I'm running out there. Mom, I'm going out to play in the fields. Okay, be careful. Always be careful, whatever careful is. But I'd notice corn seeds sitting right on that soil. Soybeans sometimes sitting right on that soil. Never move, never move, never germinated. Do you know a lot of believers hear the word, the word never germinates. So if you're a person, I mean, seriously, this, I know it's a little tough, it's okay. If you're a person and, and things in your life haven't changed for a period of time, if you look back six months and a year ago or a year ago and you say, well, I'm, I'm pretty much like I was then, there's probably some hardness going on. Because you know what? I can look back a year ago. I'm not the same person I was a year ago. I can look back six months ago. I'm not the same person. Something's happening inside me. I've been in Jesus this year, 43, no, 40, how long? 46 years. My goodness. And he's still working in me. Isn't that good? What's the telltale sign that God's working in you? You're perfect. You've reached perfection. Your halo is polished. Your wings are, are perfect. No, no, no. You still recognize it when you mess up. And you want to do right even though you mess up over and over again, right? So that's, that's the key, right?